The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Suzette Kent, who's the Federal Chief Information Officer of the United States. Hi, Suzette. Thank you so much for joining us on AI Today. Well, thank you, Ron and Kathleen. Nice to join you. Yeah. Welcome, Suzette, and thanks for joining us today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background and your current role as Federal CIO. Certainly, Kathleen. So I am Suzette Kennan, the Federal Chief Information Officer. And in that role, I have the honor and pleasure of working with all of the agencies of the federal government executive branch in how we use technology. That's both the policies as well as looking at how agencies actually perform against those policies and intent. So it's an exciting space Because the most important thing is how we use technology to serve mission. And I came to the federal government after almost 30 years in industry, most of that in financial services. So when we think about many of the concepts, particularly around AI for use of delivering services to citizens, the importance of privacy and transparency and ethics, many of those things were part of my career in the private sector. So happy to join you today and really excited about this topic because it's one of the things that as I look across all the technology areas that are part of the role of the federal CIO, the opportunities here and the excitement across the agencies is really important in this area. Yeah, well, that's really great because, you know, artificial intelligence is a transformative technology. It's transforming industry and society and governments across the board. And it's part of what we've been really thrilled to cover as part of our now 140 or so episodes of AI Today, plus all of our research. So it's really exciting to see that the federal government in the United States has made AI a priority. So where do you see federal agencies today in their AI adoption? That's a great question, Ron. And I actually see it, it's across the board, and I'll share some examples of what I mean by that, but I'm going to start with emphasizing the way you opened the question. Investment in AI, both in private sector and in use inside the federal government, is a priority of this administration, and there have been you know, multiple statements and commitments about that. And most of the examples and things that I'm going to share, obviously, are about what we're doing inside the federal government and what agencies are doing. But but your question, I see it across the board. And what I mean by that is some agencies like Department of Energy and DOD, NASA, NSF, Commerce, HHS, they're more advanced. And they range from having formal focused business units and teams, you know, data curation, expanded infrastructure, and a multitude of projects and investments and their own, you know, high-performance computing capabilities. And other agencies like VA, GSA, Labor, Transportation, and Interior, they may be in a little different place and maybe in some cases not as mature across that entire spectrum of investment, but they have targeted mission projects, they have pilot initiatives, they're driving, you know, maturity of data capabilities, you know, their compute capabilities and workforce skills development. And of course, every single agency has opportunity to use AI 
as it's embedded in many of the products that we're getting from our commercial vendor partners. So they're bringing in elements of automation, analytical advancement, AI, and some of those mature data use capabilities as we leverage commercially available products. So that's kind of a broad spectrum across all the agencies. Yeah, that's a really good overview. And I know that for our listeners who have been following us for quite some time, we've interviewed various leaders from the government. And I think that every agency does have their own adoption and maturity, but it's really nice and refreshing to see that everybody is working towards that. I know that the United States also wants to train an AI-ready workforce. As we continue to bring AI into every aspect of our lives, it's important that we have a workforce that's able to feel comfortable and work with and build AI. So can you share with us what that means to have an AI-ready workforce, how the U.S. government plans to get an AI-ready workforce, and maybe what some of the long-term projections are for this type of training? Yeah, Cassidy, this is one of the questions that I was most excited about. And so I will ask that you bear with me kind of for a longer answer on this, because an AI-ready workforce is really a big statement. It's an important commitment as well, because the goal extends beyond the technical workforce to our entire workforce, the mission space, and how we interact with the American people. What makes AI a different technology versus some of the things that we've seen in history is that this is really driving a paradigm shift. And what I mean by that is many of our legacy technologies, they capture data, they move data, they store it, they present it. But largely, the in-state actions and the interpretations are still done by people. And as we look at AI, the human-led and people-led interpretation doesn't change, but the capacity and the capabilities that we have change significantly. And I'll give you an example. I've shared in the past one of the things I was very excited about. It was one of my favorite simulations that combined weather data, transportation data, power grid data, labor and commerce data to answer a really complex question or a simple question with a lot of complex factors is where's the optimal placement for response teams during a hurricane? So you had to look at kind of where is the weather impact going to be made and what's the impact of, you know, water and wind on roads and power? Where would people be based on where they work and where they live? And that makes us think differently about all the people who have to be involved in building that capability beyond technicians, deep mission experts, individuals who understand implications of the mission. And so with that kind of long answer, I'll take it a second step and then talk about actual training. I was recently visiting with one of our university teams who are recipients of some federal grants in AI, and they were taking that scenario that I just mentioned to an even further step by saying, well, if we know what's going to happen, how can we recover faster? Where will there be trees and debris that need to be removed? And what is the workforce that we need to repair flood damage? So not only use the capabilities to minimize impact, but to speed up recovery. So when you think about this type of scenario, that fundamentally changes our end-to-end workforce. Those who are designing and developing from a technical stage, those who are part of the mission, the subject matter expertise, 
in multiple, you know, kind of rings of impact of that scenario. So to train our workforce to leverage the powerful capabilities, we need not only the commitment from the technical side, but mission operations and the business teams who understand and have the insights to help us identify, deconstruct, and reconstruct some of those complex interactions. And in all of that, for the citizens that we're serving, we have to invest in the transparency and explainability of how both that data and technology are being used. So it is a very different approach to technical, operational, and service delivery. And the way that we are looking at the training is kind of in those different components, hands-on skills, but literacy in how AI and information is used. And, you know, you heard the term DevSecOps in development, but how we empower our end-to-end workforce through the business processes changes how we design and deliver the capability because we have to expand it throughout the entire business process from the genesis of the data to the experience of the end user. So that is somewhat of a long-winded answer. That's part of the transformational capability when you actually address the entire flow from end to end. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes sense. And I think that's part of the challenge, not, you know, obviously for governmental agencies and huge organizations, but of course, you know, across the board, which is why that AI-ready workforce is so important to, it's sort of an adjustment economy-wide. And it's interesting that you talk about the flow from data to the people and to the processes and technology, because yeah, that one of the other interesting things about artificial intelligence is that how a lot of it is rooted fundamentally in data. And you talk a lot about the importance of data and, you know, data is obviously the heart of making these systems work. And I think we've always been aware of the asset value, if you will, of data, but now it's like the power of leveraging that data in so many different ways. So how can and should the U.S. and perhaps, you know, other listeners who are listening or maybe other governments in other parts of the world, you know, how can they be leveraging the data as the strategic asset to add all this power of pattern recognition and all the other things that we can do with artificial intelligence? Ron, that's a fantastic question. And part of our federal government, federal data strategy team, and as one of the sponsors, I can't emphasize enough how important our investments in our data capabilities are. As you noted, we all know that data is going to fuel automation and AI, but mature data management is also critical to ensuring that we protect privacy, national security, and we're taking the right steps to build trust. As I mentioned, the federal data strategy outlines for the federal government the steps that agencies are taking to assess and mature their own capabilities from the operational to the workforce to the actual principles and practices. So it's a wide-ranging set of capabilities where we want to overall raise the bar. And the way the U.S. leverages data as a strategic asset is not only investing and prioritizing in these policies, practices, and skills, but by elevating the way that we do business and the way that we ask our questions. So elevating the demand to be data-driven and expecting data-driven outcomes to the forefront of our actions and as much as possible, making the data open and accessible so that the conclusions and those outcomes are clear. And that helps change the paradigm, again, to data as our strategic fueling asset and critical to empowering outcomes. 
Yeah, I think that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. You know, obviously that's inconsistent with where we see the rest of the industry and a lot of things we talk about here at Cognolytica and in our training and in our research and a lot of the other things we do. Yeah, you know, we always talk about how data is the heart of AI. And so, you know, it's really important that people have data sets that they can work with and having them be open, especially with the government, can bring a lot of value, I think. So, you know, it, it's always nice to continue to hear how things are evolving and how data can continue to be leveraged as a strategic asset. Now, obviously, the global pandemic and COVID-19 is on everybody's mind, and I think it will be for quite some time, probably for years to come, as it's just, you know, dramatically changing very rapidly the way that we live and interact. So how is the U.S. federal government applying AI to help address the range of issues dealing with this pandemic and related issues? You know, we have unemployment and, and other things, healthcare that are trickling down from this. So how is the U.S. going to leverage and apply AI? You know, Kathleen, in this really challenging situation, the actions are one of the areas that actually shows how the government can bring together the full power of all the assets to solve a now global problem. So bringing together the knowledgeable people, the data assets, the computational power, and cooperation with laser focus on finding answers is something that, you know, I think we should look at as a great example of the power. By sharing the data sets, you know, you saw the U.S. commitment to make available our high-performance compute power at our national labs in consultation and cooperation, you know, with others who could bring data sets or could bring perspectives, all to contribute to finding answers. And so there's a set of activities very focused on, you know, the healthcare, solving, you know, find a vaccine, understanding this particular illness. But as you said, there are capabilities that are being used in other areas. How are we managing, you know, our supply chain? How do we get the right resources to the individuals that need it? You also mentioned the understanding, you know, the individual impact, whether that's through the economy or services that need to be provided. We have seen in various regions the impact from, you know, unemployment or for other types of services, being able to bring that data together and look at it on a national perspective helps us take action and and be more help fuel the recovery response. So whether it's specifically about the disease itself or whether it is about the conditions that, you know, this situation have created, the ability to bring together the knowledgeable individuals, the data, the analytic and AI capability, and the create um, an environment, whether it's through our high-performance compute or those assets that are being brought by our vendors, bringing those things together helps us find answers faster. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's part of what this could be a really key moment, you know, in AI's history in this latest wave where powerful applications of the technology in real world situations that are providing highly visible benefits might be a great way of showcasing the power of, of AI across what we call the seven patterns, you know, whether it's the predictive analytics pattern or the patterns and anomalies or recognition or conversational systems or autonomous systems, you know, or hyper-personalization or the goal-driven systems. These are all unique ways that we see right now the possibility of great application and probably real-world applications. 
we're always trying to find what people are doing. Sometimes it's very obvious in public and sometimes it's not very obvious. So always looking to do that. So looking forward to the future a bit. Oh, I don't know if you want to chime in on that or... <laughs> I was just going to say some of the things that we're seeing right now have kind of been in that predictive and recognition uh, lane, but there may be other things, you know, as we continue to understand and explore and that predictive and pattern recognition has been so critical in this situation to how we shaped response and what actions that we took. So to, to your point, um, it is a example where we can look to how you know the capabilities actually contributed to actions that were taken being driven by available data. Yeah, I, well, that's fantastic. I mean, actually, th- that's something maybe we can in future podcasts dig a little more because I would love to hear more about the predictive and patterns and anomalies and how they're being applied in some of these interesting cases, which is fantastic. So, you know, looking a little bit forward, you know, obviously there's a lot of promise, you know, for AI. And there's always a question we like to ask all of our podcast guests. So what do you believe is the future of AI in general and its application to organizations, governments and beyond? Ryan, that's a great question to end with. And as I thought about it, based on my personal experiences today, this is really a hard one for me to answer. And that's because I am constantly thrilled and amazed. And there are things that even five or 10 years ago, when I was looking at different types of things, where we are now, I couldn't even imagine what has grown through kind of leaps and bounds. So when I think about the future, Um, and kind of where we are now, the types of, you know, when I'm looking at using drones and data to anticipate, you know, where the fire lines are going to move in wildfires, you know, the analysis going on with the drones when, you know, I I can unlock my phone with my face. We're, We're just talking about finding cures for diseases that we didn't even understand and didn't even exist. I think the future is limitless. But when I look at that journey, it's exciting. But I also look at some of the guardrails that we need with ethics and values at the forefront of that exploration are really important. And what I have also seen, I'll reflect back on the work at agencies. I've seen the highest level of success when there's clarity of the question and a kind of mutual focus on the outcome being data-driven. So I already said, I think that the future is limitless, but I think we measure our success by the impact that we make on quality of life, economy, health, those types of things in our nation. And that means that our journey needs to be pursued you know, with the right structures and values in place as we continue to go forward. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, that's a really great answer because I think that this question can be pretty difficult too. trying to look ahead and see what's possible. There's so many different things that are possible, but then to try and really nail it down, it can be difficult to put into words. So thank you for that really good answer to that question. Yeah. Also, thank you so much. You know, we really appreciated you getting your insight here because you have this unique visible vantage point across all the various different agencies and the activities within the government. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We really enjoyed having you as a guest and we listeners hope that you found a lot of value in listening to Suzette today. So once again, Suzette, thank you so much for joining us on the AI Today podcast. And for our listeners, we have a bonus episode. So please make sure to stay tuned for that uh, posted concurrently with this one. So first, a big thank you to Suzette for joining us. Thank you, Ron and Kathleen. I appreciate it.
Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. And listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.